Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. I'm doing something today that I've never done in my almost 20 years of broadcasting, and that is I'm giving you a warning about today's program. It's heart-wrenching. At times, it's breathtaking. At times, it's painful. It's about child sex trafficking. Even our producer, David Springer, who's heard so many interviews, said he found it difficult to listen to. But it's important that we all listen to it because it's about something that's going on in our very midst. So please do your best to listen to this program and spread the word about child sex trafficking and about the importance that we band together to do something about it. Thank you. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. Today, we're going to be talking with Sherwin Hildebrand, who is the executive director of CASA, Coint Appointed Special Advocates in Mendocino County, California. Hi, Sharon. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Please begin by explaining what CASA court-appointed special advocates is? Absolutely. So uh, CASA, the acronym for court-appointed special advocates, is both a national program and then it drops down to the state level and then per county. So our program actually covers two counties, Lake and Mendocino County. Um, We have been a program in existence since 1994, started serving our first youth in 1995. We train community volunteers who then take oath in the juvenile courts, and they are assigned to either a abused or neglected youth or a delinquent youth who may have gone and crossed over into the criminal system. That advocate is that child's voice in court, making sure that programs are being accessed, that opportunities are not being missed, because social workers don't just serve uh, a child, they serve an entire family, and then they have multiple families they have to um, look after. So the opportunities to make sure that this child's voice is heard and they don't get lost in the system is one of our primary responsibilities. And what kind of people uh, volunteer? Is it a voluntary organization? Are the the, uh, CASA people voluntary? It is. Uh, we, all of our volunteers are, um, you have to be over the age of 21. You have to pass some background checks because we certainly don't want to uh, reoffend our children. And you then have to have a mandatory training, which we must comply with a California rule of court, uh, 5.655. So um, by the time they take oath in the courts, they've had about 50 hours of training, both in person, um, independent, and our courtroom is our best classroom. And do these CASA volunteers who are assigned a particular person, they do appear in court from what you're saying with the, with the uh, young person. Do they do other things outside the court for the person as well? Yes. So uh, CASA is, um, we are not a big brothers, big sisters. We are advocates. So we do a lot of research and supports for the youth. Uh, For example, one of our primary responsibilities that we look to is to be assigned as the youth ed right holder. Many of our children have bounced from school to school to school, and every time they move in a school year, they lose six months. So it is important that you have one adult who understands the laws about education, looking out for the rights of that youth. And that's one of our primary ways that we can pull down services. The schools actually um, can provide therapeutic services. They provide great assessments. If our youth qualify for an individualized education plan, which is also known as an IEP. Uh, But one of our biggest uh, advocacies when we are assigned as ed rights holders is, is we advocate to not move that youth during a school year. Now, 
since they, they are called advocates, that means they are out to help this person. Do they work in concert with the young person's lawyer if they can afford a lawyer? Or do they work in concert with a public defender? Uh, do they work in concert with anybody else uh, it, it, you know, in the system? That would be yes to all the above and more. Um, you want to be able to support our children as a team. You know, the partners, which would be child welfare, um, the child's attorney, and all children in the state of California are afforded an attorney at no charge. It's the law in the state of California. Um, most sibling groups have one attorney. If for some reason the sibling groups have different plans, there may be separate attorneys assigned, but um, there's a social worker assigned from the county. And then depending on where that child is placed, there's also going to be a social worker with the foster family agency. That child may be eligible for regional services due to um, intellectual disabilities. That's a partner. You work with public health if there's medical issues. So we work as a team. However, we all agree to disagree. It's not, um, you know, not everybody gets to know the youth as on a one-on-one -on -one basis as much as the CASA does. And that's one of our focus also is to be that significant adult in that child's life because we ask our volunteers to commit to a minimum of a year because in um, as it exists now in the system, most of our children have uh, could be have two, so two to three social workers in a year. They could have two uh, or plus psychiatrists in a year, they could have more than one lawyer in a year. And so we serve to be that consistent adult in their lives to be able to understand what's gone on previous and to bring it forward and make sure the judge knows everything that's going on. Sharon, we know that child sex trafficking is an international problem. It's a national problem. It's a statewide problem. And I'm hearing that it's also an issue here in Mendocino County, a small county of about 80,000 people, uh, three hours northwest of San Francisco. What can you tell us about child sex trafficking in Mendocino County? Um, it's rampant and it has been rampant for many years. Uh, child sex trafficking, which also may be called commercial sexualized exploitation of children, falls under the umbrella of human trafficking. So in most rural counties, and especially in ours, we live in an area where we have a lot of mountain areas that are not easily accessible. It's easy to hide and um, uh, create improper and uh, illegal drug uh, places to either grow and or cook different drugs. And so they need people to work in a lot of those grows. So the human trafficking aspect of it um, exists and has existed in our area for years. Our youth that we serve, our foster youth, are at the highest risk of child sex trafficking because they are targeted because they are at-risk at youth. Uh, most more common is girls. However, it does impact our boys too. So in our area, we actually serve a lot of children that have been sex trafficked. Um, the common age is about 12 to 17. After 17, you find them grooming other young children and they actually continue on in the field of prostituting themselves out and or sharing uh, pornographic of reviews and videos of themselves online so that they can have money dumped in their account by cash apps. So it's, um, you know, it starts with somebody paying attention to a youth and telling them, I know exactly how you feel. I can take care of you. They usually give them gifts. Um, so, and oftentimes what we find the gift to be is a phone. They then um, introduce them to free drugs. Usually they start off with marijuana and they continue to provide those things to the youth. In this case, I'm speaking of a young lady. They tell her how pretty she is and that they'll take care of her. They then start taking her on short trips. 
Uh, they introduce her to other types of drugs. Um, oftentimes we see methamphetamine as the next drug. And then uh, there is a sexual relationship that exists. Uh, usually the male is older, over the age of 18. And then what happens is, is they look at the young lady and they say, if you love me, you'll do for my friend what you do for me. And that starts the... Um, trafficking and the sex trafficking of this youth. They are oftentimes videotaped so that it can be held against them later on. They are emotionally threatened that they will be hurt or they will hurt people that they the child knows. Um, oftentimes they are under the influence when they are participating in any sexual contact with a unknown um, person. So Legally, especially if they're a foster youth, um, uh, raping, you cannot give consent if you're under the influence. So, and raping a foster youth actually carries an additional felony charge. However, the problem is, is that they now will pay them and give them some of the take. So these girls are earning money for it. They um, become addicted and they want more drugs. So they keep going back. That's not everybody. We have a lot of kids that end up in the emergency room. They're cutting themselves. Um, they are high on substances. And um, we automatically often think that they're having a mental health crisis as opposed to really looking into it and to find out that they've been being uh, sexually abused because they've been passed around to different men um, for money. So at one point, the girls love the money and they traffic themselves. We have a lot of that. Now, you mentioned that b males are also trafficked. Yes. Oh, can you give us a rough idea of the percentage of males to females? Uh, oh, is it, is that I'm just I would just be guessing, um, Dr. Miller. I'm being I honest to you. I yes. can tell you that. Um, in foster care, whenever a youth leaves their placement, it's called an AWOL. And if they're gone for any amount of time, oftentimes what they're doing is couch um, surfing. And um, they often have to pay sexually for, you know, to have that couch to lay on or to get transport. And so um, our males don't talk about it as much. We, um, you know, we know it's happened. But um, our females, uh, they will, you know, we have quite a few girls that will walk right up to men. They're 15 and 16 years old. And they'll tell us, I needed some money. So I called my friend. Now, you mentioned that in, in addition to psychological coercion, uh, the young women are also physically threatened. And we've heard stories that in addition to physically threatening these young people, they also threaten their friends and families with physical violence. Is that correct? What can you tell us about that? I have heard the same thing. I have heard the same thing. It is, um, you know, it's, it's called emotional abuse. You know, if you have a young lady and oftentimes the trafficker will find out as much as possible about the uh, youth's family first. If uh, they also target single mother children, They're, um, they want to go after youth that may not have the most functional homes. So you're going to see a lot of single moms and their daughters there. And the traffickers learn about the family first so that they can say to the youth, I know where your mom works. She works, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you don't do as I'm going to say, I'm going to hurt her. Or uh, they know that the youth has youth's father, where the father works. And they've already taken videos of the youth. And so they'll tell the youth that we will put this on the internet and um, you will never be able to show your face again. So, you know, and these are a lot of kids. These are good kids, too. Um, and when I say good, I mean they're coming from healthy families. So you're not safe just because you're not a foster youth. Uh, they use oftentimes 
one youth who they've brought into their trafficking uh, journey, and they tell that youth to bring in other youth. And so the youth, if they go to a public school, they're going to be sharing phones. Phones have become absolutely abhorrent when it comes to working with any youth of trafficking. We have found youth with six phones on them. Okay. They all, and their contacts are shared frequently. And it's just a goal to get a new girl's name with a picture and then send it to the contact. It's and scary. Kel, what, is the, what is the purpose uh, of having six phones, Sharon? I, I, I'm, I'm so new to that. I have to ask. If there's no what, purpose what is- to having six phones. Oftentimes what has happened is, is the youth seeks out um, and traffics themselves and they're given a new phone each time. I see. Yeah. I see. And it's that's it's interesting. We um, I, I keep contacts of the kids in my phone and I constantly have to change and update the phone numbers um, when they call. When, yeah. And you can always tell when they've gotten a new phone. And so you also mentioned that it isn't just foster children who have either no parents or they're out of touch with their parents or their parents cannot take care of them. So they put them in foster home situations. But you also mentioned, if and correct me if I'm mistaken here, that young people from what you might call normal or average homes or, or uh, a home where there's a mother and father are also being trafficked. Did I understand that correctly? Yes. Um, you know what? Adolescence is the hardest time in the world to go through. And I'm sure you can think back to your adolescence and think about things that you did and that you were never going to tell anybody. And it doesn't matter how good of a kid you were. It is hard. You want somebody to love you at any given time. You probably hate your parents only because they didn't do something you wanted them to do. And that's just a common, that's parenting one-on-one. You're going to go through it. However, especially girls, when they are going through adolescence, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, you have this good looking man text you all of a sudden that your friend gave me your number. I'd love to talk with you. And they build a relationship over the phone first, and then they may talk um, and meet in person. And that's the whole approach of working and grooming a young lady is making her feel that you're the only one in the world that's going to take care of her. And that's what's going on. And so you believe everything that that young man tells you and it escalates, you know, it goes from, from caring to gifts, to drugs, to sex, and then sharing you with his friends. So parents are listening to this or they're reading a transcript in the forthcoming book, Sexual Medicine. And they're saying to themselves, they look at each other and they say, what can we do to make certain that this doesn't happen to our daughter here in Ukiah, California? What can we do that, so that this doesn't happen to our daughter here in Philo, California? What are some of the things that parents can do when they they hear this and they're terrified, or if not terrified, just anxious. So um, I think you just have to be aware of what's going on. You know, specific to children and foster care, um, since we started out, and that's what the predominant population that we work with, and juvenile delinquents. And I got to tell you that most of our youth that cross over into the juvenile delinquency system have former abuse and neglect in their lives. We have to we keep everything confidential. So our communities, and it doesn't matter whether it's little Ukiah or San Francisco, we keep all of this confidential. And that's not sharing the challenges that may be going on for our youth. I think that knowing and having a relationship with your children and just being honest and understanding. Um, Let me give you an example. So mom notices that her 12-year-old is um, becoming withdrawn. And this is before COVID, okay? Um, Becoming withdrawn. Then the next thing she notices is she has a new phone. 
doesn't know where she got it because they're pretty poor. Um, she asks her and the daughter says, a friend at school gave it to me. She believes her. The next thing that happens is, is the daughter starts disappearing for two or three hours at a time. She comes back every time. She's, um, she's not a, a child that has run away in the past, but she just kind of disappears. And so she comes home and mom notices, of course, there's the argument of where have you been? I've been in a friend's mom, but there's noticeable um, concerns that mom is noticing. And it is thought that the youth is under the influence of substances. Then at one point, so mom um, still doesn't do anything, just has usually an argument with the child and the child is lying and not saying anything. We've all done it. We've all been there. Okay. I don't care how good a child is, is that either they know that they shouldn't be doing things and they're going to lie. The next thing is, is that the youth disappears for 12 hours. Mom gets very concerned. Mom can't find her, is going all around. The youth does come home and again displays um, substance abuse. They get into an argument. Daughter runs in her room, slams the door. The next thing mom notices is she refuses to go to school for the rest of the week. And she also notices that her daughter is cutting, um, self-injuring herself. She's very concerned. She takes the youth to a local emergency room. They, um, they don't test her for drugs. And they basically just talk to the youth. And the youth says, yeah, I'm depressed. Okay. Um, so there's no referral since mom home, really not knowing and just saying, keep an eye on her. Mom at one point went to a local, um, she is also a counselor in the area. She's also a school board member and she's a significant community partner and working with children. So went to her and had a discussion with her and we had the discussion about everything you're saying is pointing to um, trafficking. So mom was so desperate to get some type of help for this youth. She took her down to Marin County and, um, and was able to get both a drug screen and help and support for the youth. And um, also, I can remember what the phone call about, they, they were able to do a sexual assault exam on her. And sure enough, she had been, this is a 12 year old we're talking about. She had been, um, there had been sexual assault injuries. Um, I remember when they called us from the hospital and you know the comment was take the phone away and hand it to the police. Okay, so that they can look and see who she's been talking to. The girl had been trafficked. Um, once they start, it's hard to get out. You know, one of the one of our gals. Um, these girls have dreams. These girls have goals. Most of them are highly intelligent, and um, they want to do well for themselves. And oftentimes, the only way we can get the youth out of the situation is to move them from the area. So um, that has happened more than once. You have to get them out of the area um, so that people can't find them and they can start almost a new life. I, I do work with a couple of agencies, international agencies in the Sacramento area that um, they help to uh, financially support and to relocate women and or girls who feel that they uh, they want to get out of the trafficking because it's really hard to get out of. You know, you're, we have 18, 19, and 20-year-olds whose um, videos are all over the internet. And, you know, they get cash out payments daily because people are watching them and paying them for it. Now, the ones who are below 18 and they're being trafficked, and you're, I, I underlined in red in my mind when you said one of the best things and most effective things we can do is to take the young person out of the area. Mm -hmm. That means that the, that the people who are trafficking them have a much more difficult time getting to them or getting them to go to work, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the geographic, but that is asking a tremendous amount of a family 
if you're saying we've got to move our entire family out of the area in order to prevent this terrible thing from happening. And yet, if they don't move out of the area, they can lose their daughter to this to this to this lifestyle. I um, remember I work predominantly foster youth. Um, yes. Although, yeah. Although we don't want foster youth moved, you know, permanency and placement is important. A foster youth can be moved to protect that foster youth. So, in that respect, as for families, yeah, I've dealt with them. You know, luckily, the families that I've worked with have extended family in different areas. And so opportunity mm-hmm. exists to, you know, call up an auntie or an uncle or a grandma and, you know, and bring them into the loop as to what's going on. And that's important too. When a family, you know, I'm a very black and white person. And when I deal with these kids, you have to say what it is. These are uh, traffic youth. It's called commercially sexually, excuse, yeah, commercially sexually exploited children. We need to make sure that everybody knows that they are at risk for that. We are not labeling youth by putting that um, important information out there. This is not about a label. We can't help these youth unless we know what to look out for. And so um, that's a big hurdle that we had in all the communities because some people felt that we were labeling them if we were to say, this is a CSEC kid, we need to protect this youth. Now, what about the people who are doing the trafficking? Mm-hmm. How difficult is it for the police to get to them? Because it would seem to me if the police can get to them in, in small communities, they must be able to find out the names of the people who are doing this. Is it very difficult to prosecute people for this? A felony. You have to have a, you have to have victims who are willing to tell on their um, the perpetrator. Abuser. Yeah. Yes. And I can tell by your look on your face and your tone of voice that it's extremely difficult to get these young people to to uh, prosecute or to even uh, bear witness. Correct. Correct. You know, I actually have a case of that in my own private practice this week uh, where the father that I'm working with, his daughter, uh, was severely beaten up by one of these guys. And uh, when it came time, they they, they arrested him. And when it came time to prosecute, uh, she attempted to change her um, her position and say that he never, ever touched her. And what was really amazing about this case, Sherwin, is that she attempted to change what she said in the face of the fact that they had surveillance videos showing the man beating her up severely and her laying on the floor beaten. And And that was what was so dramatic to me. She was trying to change a testimony and say it never happened, and they had the actual video of it happening. And that tells me just how how powerful the, the grip that these men must have over these young women. It's not only men. I don't want to, you know, there are plenty of women who also help traffic because it's all oh. about money. Okay, you got to remember, oh. this is all about money. And... Um, so there are as many women that are complicit in supporting the trafficking of youth. And it is, um, it's scary. Yeah. You can't, you can't prosecute anybody unless you have proof. And if you don't have anybody that's going to come forward, it, whether it's the victim or witnesses to talk about the proof, you have no cases. And, you know, no. and, can you imagine a young girl being threatened or, you know, told many times, I'll kill you if you tell anybody, okay? It is, um, it's traumatic and it scares them. And so, um, you know, they cognitively aren't of the age nor have had they, they had the experience to be able to deal with it. You know, they're embarrassed. They don't want to tell anybody. Um, there possibly are videos out there. They don't want them showing up so that their parents think or their families think less of them. 
you know, not all families are equipped to understand what's going on in the world today. And so we, we don't then know how to deal with them either. I'm not saying I know how to deal with them perfectly. I do know that um, I grew up very sheltered. There were five of us. You know, I had a great family setting, you know, two parent home, five of us. I'm the oldest, but I had a lot to learn. And when I started learning these things by working in this job and um, you bring it forward and you use it in parenting with your own children. I have three. I have um, two stepchildren and a bio daughter. And I would say I absolutely parented differently the longer I was in this job. And the way the parenting got different by just being open. I can tell you some of the best conversations I had when we were going to um, water polo tournaments with all the girls in the car was I had a captured audience and we talked about sex and, um, and what you should and shouldn't do. And you just have to have honest conversations with your kids, age appropriate. I am not one for having those conversations with nine-year-olds. There's a different way. But, um, you know, even the exhibit that we're bringing to you, Kaya, we are warning that probably anybody under the age of 11 should not be coming to the exhibit. It's just, you know what? We should be sheltering our children from these types of things. Uh, and unfortunately, in this generation, there is so much available to them visually, both on computers on televisions, uh, games, video games, that they are far advanced in understanding sex than we were at the same age. Do you think that pornography is having an influence on this sex trafficking business? Oh, that's, that's what it's all about, is creating, creating immediate pleasure and um, developing and potentially having pornography come out of it so they can sell it. Absolutely. So in addition to selling these young ladies and some boys to customers, they're also photographing, doing videos of them having sexual activity and then selling the videos for additional money. Absolutely. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Now, you mentioned an exhibit that's going on in Ukiah, California. Please tell us about the exhibit. Oh, very excited. Um, we have a great community that has come together and many sponsors who basically want to send the message that we will not allow this in our community anymore. So we have are working with an organization called I Empathize to bring the I Empathize Apathy exhibit to Ukiah the week of next week, March 28th through the 31st. It is all about human trafficking around the world. Um, we have a lot of storyboards around the exhibit to make it more local. Nothing's identified with name. Our target is to bring um, youth in uh, over the age of 11 as and Ukiah Unified School District, which is the largest school district in Mendocino County, is one of the main sponsors. So, and as is Child Welfare and Health and Human Services, the Department of Social Services. So the idea is, is that it is a 30-minute tour. You can either have it guided or a self-tour. We're going to have a reflection board. We have, you know, supports in case anybody is triggered. We also have opportunities for the youth to, you know, we have some giveaways to the youth for participating. And then we also have standalone uh, tours and trainings for first responders. So um, our law enforcement officers, our paramedics, fire, police, um, emergency room workers, our emergency responders from child welfare. It's a different thing when you walk into or come upon a, uh, a traffic youth and what to look for. So we have a first responder who will be training and giving those tours specifically. Um, it's free. It is open to everybody. We have, um, you know, different times available, and it will open at 2 p.m. on Monday, the 28th, at the Community Conference Center in Ukiah. Now, going back to something you said earlier, um, you talked about how the person who is approaching the young person 
will come on with some introduction, some sweet talk. I like you. Maybe give them a gift or two. Maybe take them out to lunch. There's a courting that goes on in order to uh, get them uh, into the process. And at some point, do they take these young people from their foster homes and take them or from their, their, their normal homes and literally take them to live somewhere else um, so that they have 24-hour observation and control of these people? I would say that, yes, sometimes that happens. Um, it, with our foster youth, with group homes, and this is all over the state of California, um, our program in any foster youth, but especially in the rural counties, we do not have enough foster homes to support the number of children that are being brought into the court systems because of abuse and neglect. So about 50% of our kids are moved outside of Mendocino County over to the Valley is a lot down South. And so what we do see happening is, um, the traffickers are very smart. They know that most group homes, they're now called short-term residential treatment programs, can hold a bed for three days. Uh, what we were finding is, is they would pick the youth up at the group home. Uh, the youth would then be AWOL, but they would make sure to return that youth before day three was finished, and then they'd have their bed back. So we also found, though, that in between the times that they would take them away from the placement, they would leave drugs below the house in a hidden spot. Um, the idea being that was one of the gifts that they would give and get the youth hooked on um, substances. So, but we have also had youth run um, because they were being groomed by an older girl and they're taken out of county. And most of the time, um, a lot of those youth, they're taken down to the Los Angeles, San Diego area. We have had youth picked up by the FBI in stings. And then um, also knowing that they're all, they're down by San, the San Diego by the border very close. So both happen. I've seen people interviewed who are considered by governments to be slaves that they're literally slaves, they're owned by other people. Do we have that kind of phenomenon going on in Mendocino County where people take over another person's life and the, the person being taken over believes that they're owned by someone else, they have no passport, they have little identification, and they're totally under the control of the other person? I think that you're talking about probably labor trafficking, which is also a form of human trafficking. So what happens is, is that they are brought into this country um, and they have to pay the price for being brought into the country and being taken care of. So they then owe the person who sponsored them um, and they have to hand all those documents over. Um, I know that you have talked to our sheriff, our local sheriff, and he has told you that um, the, the human trafficking aspect is very um, prevalent in our county, and they usually find them um, being brought here to work in illegal grows uh, to pay back for their passage across the border. So, um, you know, it is a form of slavery in that they are emotionally threatened. You know, we don't know if they are being uh, sexually abused. Oftentimes that's a yes though. And, but they're being made to work to pay back somebody who um, helped them get across the border. Yes. I've, I've, I've been told by the sheriff and others that some of these people are actually brought here from Mexico and they're blindfolded all the way so that when they get here, they have absolutely no uh, idea where they are. But they're told that their families are being held hostage back in Mexico. And if they don't do the work of growing and protecting the grow, then uh, something violent will happen to their family back home. I, I've heard those same stories. It's... I you know, people really need to understand that our beautiful county is very dangerous. and um, It can be very dangerous. Yeah. Now, what, what about what we hear about, but don't know if it's rumors or, or there's truth in it, that young people are sometimes scooped off the street 
and pulled into a car or a van and then drugged and then trafficked. Do we have, have you heard reports of people being sort of kidnapped that way off the streets in Mendocino County? Um, I don't know that we have that happening as much, but I can tell you that as a parent, and um, remember I told you that one of our responsibilities as CASAs is we usually have ed rights, which means parental rights for education for a lot of these youth. We do get notices on our phones um, if there is a concern because there is a there has been reported that a white van has been stalking and tried to get a youth into a car. So does it happen in this community? It, it can, and it has been reported that people have tried. So I, um, but remember, we don't hear a lot about everything, okay? We just don't hear everything. And I would suggest, too, that when it comes to children, we don't report everything about children. Um, do we hear about child death all the time? No, because it's a confidential issue. And so what is it we're not hearing about in our communities that we need to know in order to put safety um, opportunities in place and to teach our parents how to keep their children safe. You know, the schools are, the schools probably have our children the most um, when you consider that um, they're there usually from 8 a.m. until, you know, and oftentimes if they're staying after school, 4 to 5 p.m. And so they are tasked with keeping our children safe. And, and we freak, again, we frequently get these blasts about what's going on. And so it's a new day. Um, it's not 1980s anymore or the 70s. And we need to be aware and keep our ears open so that we can understand how to help in case it does happen and what to do. Let's talk about race a bit. Is there a, a, a differentiation? Are people of certain colors trafficked more than people of other colors? Um, you know, Mendocino County is predominantly Caucasian. We have a very high Hispanic population. We do have a small Asian population because of our Buddhist temple in Mendocino County. Um, we have a very small African-American population, and then we also have a Native population. If you were to ask if there is one population that seems to be targeted more, um, I think you're going to find that our um, it, it depends on which geographic area you are. We have areas that are um, tribal lands that are in very remote areas, and we have a horrible trafficking problem in that area. So, and we have had, um, you know, Native girls, Indigenous women who have been trafficked um, and murdered. So there is a problem there. If you're asking me if somebody's walking the street and are they more at risk, I would say if you're a pretty girl between the age of 12 and 17, that puts you equally at risk as if I was to say um, you were a specific race. So it's not as though if we did a demographic analysis, we'd find, for example, that a much higher percentage of Hispanic young girls are being trafficked than Caucasian young girls. No, I think that it's geographic. So, for example, on our tribe, it's geographic. It's absolutely geographic. I mean, we have areas of Mendocino County that have almost 80 percent Hispanic populations. OK, just by virtue of the percentage, you're going. Yes. It answers your question. OK, I understand because it, I, I, it's also the case is true with regard to uh, longevity uh, in Mendocino County, okay. uh, where where one lives uh, really determines how long one lives. And there are actually differences in parts of the county of as much as 10 years I believe that. in lifespan based on where they live and where you live, you know, bespeaks of what kind of community you're in and who you're associating with. Now, within the geographic area concept, is it people within the same subgroup or racial group that prey on others and traffic them? Or would it be like, would Caucasians go to a to a Hispanic community 
and, and Caucasian bad guys or bad women go to a, a Hispanic community and traffic young Hispanic people? Or is it typically Native Americans traffic other Native Americans, Hispanics traffic Hispanics, etc.? Or is it an equal opportunity employer and the bad people go everywhere? Equal opportunity employer. You know, we um, do we have specific ethnic groups that are into illegal trades in Mendocino County? Yes. Is one ethnicity more represented than others? Yes. However, um, it seems to all be connected to um, drugs. It literally is connected to drugs. And it's connected to drugs. Yeah. Now, we do know that it, particularly in small communities, but sometimes very often even in the city, the police know who the bad guys are. The issue is being able to get the evidence and convict, prosecute them and convict them. Yes. However, police and sheriff's departments also have ways of making uh, alleged perpetrators lives miserable. Do the police and the sheriff in Mendocino County take that particular tactic uh, since they ha- are having a, a, that you point out a difficult time prosecuting and convicting these people because the victims will not witness against them uh, do the police and the sheriff use the tactics of making making lives miserable for these trafficking people or w- w- what's your opinion on that or are you comfortable answering that question uh, well no I, I I don't I don't think it occurs in our belly but I think that what you're um, you know, I had a, uh, I went to a conference one time and the woman was a psychologist and she asked us to raise our hands about what our favorite shows were. And she, um, she said, how many of you watch, um, you know, the law and orders and the NCISs and the majority of the room, um, uh, raised their hands. And she said, do you know why? And of course, none of us really understood. Well, she explained to us because they always catch the bad guy. Okay. It's not, our world is not law and order anymore. And so we, number one, in rural areas, we don't have enough infrastructure. We don't have transportation. We don't have, um, uh, geographic, sheriffs that are placed within communities always. We don't have enough law enforcement for various reasons. It's the world nowadays that um, it's very difficult. At the same time, the, uh, the sheriffs and the law enforcement that we do have are very well aware what's going on. The whole thing, though, is can we make a case in order to stop it? And, you know, our state, when they decided to legalize marijuana, um, Mendocino County was already at the forefront because we had um, developed the 215 cards. And so you already had people from around the world coming here. Our challenge is, is that because of our ruralness and all the BLM lands, it doesn't matter how um, legal a grower is trying to be, there's always going to be twice as many people doing it illegally. And so how do you deal with that? And, um, you know, one of the challenges in our community is stopping um the illegal grows. They're spending all their time doing that. And people would be amazed at how many there are still. And, you know, whoever is um, making sure to put in these grows, most of the time they're not even doing just marijuana. They're, you know, why not go ahead and um, create and do meth labs too? You know, people come here because they can hide in the BLM lands. I, you know, I'm, we're, our home is one of the few homes on the mountain where we live that doesn't grow. And so, but I can tell you that all around me and just recently there was a honey lab um, in supposedly they had a legal grow, but on the BLM land above them, they had done an illegal grow because of the state and the county, the um, licensing and the taxes that are being asked for, for the um, legal growers is very high. 
and they're not making any money. So you have this increase in need to bring money in. That's the trafficking. Okay. And at the same time, our law enforcement, we don't, our rural areas, we don't have the infrastructure to fix this. And it is um, becoming even more difficult in a rural area where you can't see what's going on. It's You can from a plane, but they've even figured out how to hide things. You cannot see what's going on in our area because of our mountains. It's a perfect so, setup. So what you're saying is that the sheriff and the police departments are underfunded and what resources they have, a lot of those resources are being used to go after illegal drug uh, growers and dealers. And therefore, they have very little, if I understand you correctly, they have very few resources left over to go after these trafficking bad guys. Yes. Is that right? That is, is that the situation? That is absolutely the situation. And again, we it sounds, never, it's, it sounds you, great. Well, but it's not just going on here. I don't want you to think that it's just going on in Mendocino County. I mean, this is going on in our world right now. This is, you know, human trafficking. I was listening to a report the other day is one of, uh, you know, it is one of the most common um, underground ways. It's, It's all about money. It is all about money. And so this is not just Mendocino County. This is everywhere. It is more common on um, large freeways. We have 101, right, you know, going from the top of the state down to the bottom of the state. It's one of the reasons this corridor has a lot of trafficking. You have Highway 5. Wait a second. Let me interrupt you. you. Okay. About the freeway. Teach us something about the freeways. Are you saying these kids are out on the freeways, uh, uh, selling sex on the freeways? No, 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 no. I'm saying that you're going to find increased trafficking where the corridor is easy to commute. So, you know, 20, for example, that goes around a very windy lake and over a mountain, that's not a very easy place to, um, you know, pick up a kid real quick uh, um, that they're hitchhiking or something like that and get away. It's too mountainous. My point being is, is that there, there are also, you have to have um, when you traffic a youth, you have to have a buyer. So what's on these major freeways are very urban areas. So that's why you have an increase because you have to have a buyer. You have a seller, but you always have to have a buyer. So um, they're all they up and down these freeways are plenty of areas that you can um, sell children. What's the light at the end of the tunnel? Awareness. Oh, awareness. We've got to stop being afraid to talk about it. Raising the awareness of the community yes. so it's a topic that everybody's talking about. Yeah, I think we need Is to all right? get on the same page. Yeah, we all need to get on the same page. We all need to be talking the same talk. We all need to understand what's the protocol if we come upon somebody who we think has been trafficked. Um, and that's every um, aspect of our community. They, you know, from medical to first responders to law enforcement to our judicial system, we all need to be on the same page so that we're consistent when we have somebody and how do we treat that victim versus how do we go after their trafficker? If a, if a person has sex with one of these young people and pays money for it to this, to the bad person who's trafficking them, is that customer liable for the charge of pedophilia of child sexual abuse? Um, I can't answer that for you. I'm going to be honest with you. I am not an attorney or law enforcement. Um, And there are some new laws in the state of California, which, again, you have to have a victim who's willing to say, okay, that they were uh, sexually abused. There's your first problem, okay? If they were under the influence, they cannot give consent. Yes, that automatically becomes. If that um, perpetrator and abuser is significantly older, there are significant issues that could be had. But, and, and I don't want to paint a 
this is never going to get better because um, you can read in the uh, there is plenty of human trafficking arrests that have been made. In fact, just last week, uh, they were made at Disney World. So, um, and we have them being made in California quite frequently. Um, so, I don't want to paint that it's never going to get better. I do want to paint that it's not going to get better in our little areas until we become aware to what to look for. Seems to me that in addition to the young person who's drugged out and trafficked, and in addition to the pimp who is selling them for money, there is the issue of the customer. And these customers are complicit in ruining the lives of a young person. They must know that they're having sex with a person who's underage. And it seems that... Well, even if they don't, they know they're paying for sex with a young person, even if they think they're 18 or 19 and they're being lied to. And it might also be helpful for us to get the word out into the neighborhood about the downside of buying people for money for sexual purposes. I don't know if that would have any positive effect, but it's just another angle. You know, and I, I don't disagree with you. I think that if people were more aware of um, the consequences, I think that it would be a deterrent. Um, you did say, you mentioned pimp. There's not always a pimp. Just want to let you know. Oftentimes our girls, because they have become trafficked, they then, as they get older, they traffic themselves. There's not a pimp. So they've learned that there is money in this. And... Um, there are so many social media apps that allow them to sell themselves and they make money off of it. So there's Yes, not- I'm aware of that. Yeah. I've been I've been interviewing sex workers and they've told me that they have gone independent with the internet, yeah. that they don't need the pimps anymore and they don't need the brothels anymore. Yeah. They don't need the whorehouses. They can just work independently, vet the men over the phone with the tone of voice and they're in business. Yeah. But that that's now we're talking about adults who are, you know, it's another whole category, but right here we're talking about preying on, on children and, uh, and ruining their lives. And uh, I, I, uh, I think the whole community thanks you for the good work that you're doing to help these, these people. And, uh, and I thank you very much for the interview. Is there anything you'd like to say that we may have missed that you'd like uh, readers and listeners to hear. I, you know what? I, I can tell you that there are many, many people um, who are aware and regionally we get together with people. I know that Sheriff Kendall reached out to me today also to um, that a number of the counties in the smaller areas are working together because this is, again, not just a Mendocino County issue. This is across our world. And so, but we have less to work with. We just don't have the infrastructure that the urban areas do. So we have to work together. And um, so we actually take a stance of regionalizing services um, in order to support each other so that we're all sending the same message. And it does work. We have um, uh, international trafficking organizations that work with us. Um, I know I just spoke recently to a agency in Sacramento who um, works with helping girls and women get out of the trafficking issues. And the, the lead for that, she was very interesting to talk to, was Russian. And so, um, you know, they are, they live in the United States, they're citizens now, but they come from an area that is trafficked. And we have many foreigners that are coming into our country that are being trafficked. And so that's why she and her international organization exists. So we try to work and find resources. That's the whole idea. Oftentimes people are afraid to go to law enforcement or the county agencies. They would rather go to a non-government operation and or an organization that they can uh, either confidentially or anonymously talk to. So we're trying to build that um, resource opportunity for everybody. You know, if you need to talk to somebody, give this person a call and we'll get you help. So you're building bridges and and raising awareness. Yes. Thank you. Oh, uh, it's not just me. I just... You know, I'm well, old. I said you, I meant the you inclusively, okay. yeah. Sharon, you and, and all the people that you work with. 
Thank you. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to talk about this. It's, it's a very important topic and our listeners need to understand that it is real. Thank you. Thank you.